Thank you, Miss Sherry. Always good. Y'all know why she has a dachshund, don't you? She she went to Texas one time and met some guy down there that told her she needed to get along, little doggy. She's heard me tell that joke a million times. Um, it's the only dachshund joke I know. And it's a wiener. All right, let's move along to the sermon. Uh, before I get into the sermon, I wanted to give you just a few more announcements that I think are, are, are important announcements to, to lift up. The first of all is that beginning May the 2nd, we're going back to two worship services at 8.30 and 11 o'clock. So um, I, I'm, we're really excited about that. It's, we're inching ever closely toward whatever our new normal is going to be. And we celebrate that. And uh, we appreciate your understanding and your patience as we've tried to navigate uh, these waters over the past year. Uh, another announcement that I'd like to make is that we're going to, uh, until we think we might reach a point where we need them, we're going to do away with the need to make reservations to come to worship. We feel like we can adequately uh, accommodate the crowds that we've begun to see with the two worship services, but should we uh, find that we're not able to continue to socially distance, we might have to re-implement the reservations. But, uh, so that, that'll start next week. No need for uh, reservations next week. And then the two worship services will resume uh, in May the 2nd. So I wanted you to know that. <clears throat> I also wanted to share with you last Sunday morning we uh, made known our Easter giving opportunity. Uh, I told you that we were refinancing our church mortgage and we're trying to pay down that principal uh, so that we can reduce the monthly mortgage payment that the church has to pay. Uh, we've raised over $15,000 so far in one week towards paying down that principal. That's to be celebrated too. Um, we called it a Easter giving opportunity, and Easter is a season, not a day, so it's still not too late if you would like to make uh, a donation above and beyond your church pledge to help us to pay down that principal to reduce our monthly note. Uh, that would go a long way in freeing up money for us then to be able to do other things in ministry. And so I just thank you for your faithfulness to that. I also want to remind you that uh, I do teach a Sunday school class on Zoom immediately after the service at 8.30. It's at 9.45. And we always study the same text that I preach on. And there's always so much more to learn about a text, to, to grapple with with a text, than what I'm able to cover in a sermon. And so just want to make you aware of that. Uh, it's at 9.45 on Zoom. If you need the link, you can see me after church today and and I'll be happy to get that to you. And then finally, I wanted you to know that uh, today begins a new sermon series. For the next six weeks until we get to Pentecost, we're going to be in the uh, letter of 1 John. And so if you would like to be reading ahead and studying that text yourself, then by all means feel free to do that. But we're going to spend about six weeks in this first letter to John, this epistle to 1 John. So wanted you to be aware of that. So today's sermon comes from 1 John chapter 1 uh, and a little bit into verse 2. And the title of the sermon today is Sinking Thinking, Sinking Thinking. 
You probably haven't heard a lot about it yet, but I suspect that over the coming week you're going to hear more and more about it because it was 109 years ago this week on April the 15th, 1912, that the Titanic sank. Uh, you might be familiar with that for no other reason other than the movie that came out in 1997 that I can guarantee you you'll see playing over and over and over again uh, in the coming week. I'm not sure it ever goes off TV. It's usually on somewhere, somewhere. But the Titanic sank 109 years ago this week. And 1,517 people died when that ship sank in the frigid North Atlantic waters. And when news of that Titanic sinking began to spread across the world, so many people were shocked because they believed that the Titanic was unsinkable. They thought that it was so large and that it was so imposing that it was so magnificent and that it was so modern that it was incapable of sinking. That there was absolutely no obstacle whatsoever that could bring this ship down. And so that's why when it went down, people were so shocked. They could not believe it. And yet what we've come to realize is that one of the reasons why the Titanic sank is because there were lots of truths, there were lots of realities that went unheeded, that went unnoticed, that, that people didn't pay attention to, that actually resulted in the ship sinking in the way that it did. One of the first things is that there, they completely ignored Messages from other ships in the area that there were icebergs in the water at that time. The Titanic ignored those warnings and those messages because they thought that there was no way that an iceberg could bring down this modern, magnificent ship called the Titanic. Another reason why the Titanic sank that evening is is that the rudder that was on the Titanic was 30 to 40 percent smaller than the rudder should have been in order to navigate that ship safely. And so by the time that they saw that there was in fact an iceberg in the path of the Titanic, the rudder wasn't large enough to be able to steer the ship quickly enough out of the path of the iceberg. And so subsequently the, the ship hit the iceberg. Another reason why they think that the, the, the Titanic sank was that the, 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 the captain of the ship decided once there was a hole in the hull to just keep right on sailing. That, that even though there was a hole in the hull, they still felt like that this ship would be able to survive that with the technological advancements that had been made on the ship. And many believe that had the captain shut the ship down as soon as that hole was put into the hull of the ship, that the rescue ship, the Carpathia, would have had an opportunity to likely make it to the ship before it sank and possibly save a lot of lives. A fourth reason why that Titanic ship went down 109 years ago is because of the number of lifeboats that were actually on the Titanic. 
You know, they spent all sorts of money on all sorts of amenities on these ships for the passenger, but, but they didn't spend enough money to put enough lifeboats on the ship. In fact, there should have been 48 lifeboats to be able to safely accommodate every passenger on the ship that morning uh, were it to sink, and instead they had 20 they had 52% fewer ships, lifeboats on the ship that they needed in order to safely get everybody onto a lifeboat when the Titanic began to sink. And even the 20 lifeboats that they did have, many of them were filled less than half capacity. Uh, and that's why 1,517 people died. There were so many mistakes made. There were so many truths and realities that were ignored that sent the Titanic to its watery grave 109 years ago. So why am I talking about the Titanic other than the fact that the anniversary of its sinking is coming up this next week? Well, the reason why I thought about that story, uh, that, that, that incident this week, is because I think that's what's happening in our text. First John is writing to a community of people that have got warning signs all around them. They've got truths, realities that they are aware of that they are ignoring. And if they ignore these realities, if they deny these truths, then they run the risk of being just like the Titanic and totally enveloped in darkness. And that's why this letter was written. This letter was written, most scholars believe, by the Apostle John. The same John that... Uh, wrote the book of Revelation that's attributed to writing about the Revelation. The same John who was in John's Gospel, if, if, if it's John is referring to himself when he calls himself the beloved disciple, it's one of Jesus' closest friends who's been a part of his earthly ministry from its beginning. John is writing this letter. John is writing this letter in about 90 A.D. Now, to give you some perspective on when that is, it's believed that Jesus likely was crucified, resurrected from the dead, and ascended into heaven somewhere around 30 to 35 A.D. So this, le this letter from John is coming about 55 to 60 years after Jesus' resurrection and after Jesus' ascension. And even though it's only been 60 short years the church is already beginning to splinter. The church is already beginning to experience schism. They are already beginning to ignore some of the truths that had been communicated to them, not only by Jesus, but by those who were closest to Jesus, the apostles themselves. They are beginning to uh, ignore some of the realities, some of the truths that if they do so, will result in them being totally enveloped in darkness. Apparently, John is responding to a group of false teachers that have risen up in the Christian community that are beginning to say to those in the Christian community, the things that the Apostle John and some of these other apostles have been telling you is, is not accurate. We know the truth. 
And so some of the things that these false apostles were teaching, uh, some of them were saying that that um, that Jesus was uh, not a human, that that Jesus uh, was uh, born as the divine. Oh, sorry, let me get that. Jesus only appeared to be human, that Jesus only appeared to be human, that that when Jesus was on the cross, uh, he, that wasn't really Jesus. That was the Spirit. And that Spirit would go back to God. Others claim that Jesus was only human. And that, Je- that Christ was the Spirit that came to Jesus when He was in His earthly ministry. But that that Spirit left Jesus before He was crucified on a cross. They were teaching things like this. And John was saying, no, 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 that is not right. Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. These false teachers were also teaching things like uh, saying that, that they were spiritually superior. That they had figured out everything that they needed to know. That, that because of what Jesus had done on the cross, they no longer had to worry about sin whatsoever. Sin did not affect them. Sin shouldn't be a concern for them. Sin shouldn't be a concern for the entire Christian community. And John was saying, no, 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 that is not right. That there is a reality that you are missing. That yes, Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. Yes, Jesus did defeat death and was raised from the dead on the third day. But sin is always with us. Sin is always a temptation to us. Just because of what Jesus did on the cross to save us from sin doesn't give us permission to just continue to go on and sin without regard or without there being consequences to the sin. If you ignore the reality of sin and how it can grab a hold of your life, you will find yourself just like the Titanic, enveloped in darkness If you think that sin can't affect you, John was saying to the early Christian community, then you're acting like the Titanic ship that did not think it could be sunk. And you will sink from the weight of your sin if you don't uh, regard it as a serious offense to God and if you don't try to live according to the ways of God. And so John is writing here and he's giving us some clues how we can avoid sinking thinking. How we can avoid the temptation to just totally dismiss or disregard sin and and the reality of its presence in our lives. And how that sin could separate us from God. How that sin could turn us away from God. And John suggest to us in his letter today that the first thing that we need to do is to be honest. Pay attention to the truths that have been communicated to us by Jesus, by the apostles, and by the Scriptures. Be willing to look just under the surface for those, those icebergs of sin that can destroy us even though we might think we are invincible because of what Jesus has done On the cross for us. John is saying be honest. 
take an inventory of the way that sin seeks to find its way into your life and the way that sin tries to pull you away from the relationship with God that God desires. John might also tell us to slow down. To realize that there are obstacles everywhere that impede our relationship with God. And and we get so tunnel vision, so focused on where we want to go or what we want to do, that we don't stop and pay attention to those truths, those realities, those obstacles. We might not think that those obstacles can impede our relationship with God, but they can. John would also say to us that we need to confess our sin. That if we say that we live in the light and yet we don't acknowledge our sin and we don't acknowledge that there is still darkness everywhere, that we cannot have fellowship with God the way God intends. We cannot even have fellowship with one another in the way that God intends. And so John wants us to acknowledge the reality of sin. And John wants us to confess our sin. John doesn't want us to get so despairing about our sin that we forget one truth. And that's why in the very beginning verse of chapter 2, John says, If you will, be honest about your sin. If you will slow down and acknowledge that there are obstacles that get in the way of a right relationship with God, if you will confess your sin, then you can take great comfort in knowing that you have an advocate. That you have Jesus who will plead on your behalf before God. And that is what John's good news is for us. Sin is an ever-present reality. But if we confess our sin, the One who went to the cross for our sin will be our Advocate who will make things right for us when we stand before God. That's the good news. That's how we avoid that sinking thinking. It's how we have right relationship with God.